Amen. Bless you. Hey, um, thanks, Ed. And uh, good to see you all this morning. Thanks for coming. And uh, thanks to the worship team. Really appreciate your ministry this morning. And thanks to the people on the uh, sand desk back there who do so much and often don't probably get thanked for it. So I just want to say thanks this morning. Um, I just want to share a little bit about our love from St. Albans weekend that's coming up soon. It's actually... Next slide, please. 111 days from today to the Love from St. Albans weekend. So I hope you're praying for it each day. Next slide. We'll just go through these. Just remember, for those of you who are not familiar with it, the purpose of the weekend is for acts of practical love. We'll raise their profile in the community, create opportunities for effective service and outreach so we can advance the kingdom of God and grow the church. And we'd all say amen to that. Next slide. So... We've been doing some prayer walking, or, or Wendy Pele has um, set up a prayer walking team, and I'm going to ask uh, Wendy Smith, where the, where's Wendy? You're going to come. Do you want to come up, Wendy? She's been on some of the walks, and just to talk briefly about where they've been doing, we've selected an area, and um, she's going to say what her experience has been. Getting fit while you're prayer walking, are you, Wendy? <laughs> Is it? Yes. Good. Yes. Very good spiritually. Is it? Tell us about it. I've never done it before. Yeah? Yeah. And um, it's powerful. Is um, it? Just walking past all these houses and yeah. claiming salvation on them. Yeah. Um, and binding the enemy. Yeah. And um, talking to people if they're on the street. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. And um, if I can do it. Anyone can do it. So we need a few more. We need lots more. <laughs> Good. So how you're just doing it for an hour or so? Um, yeah, it took. We did about an hour the first time. Yeah. But we're hoping to build it up and yep. sort of do it in pairs. <clears throat> yep. Um, and yeah, it's just you just pray as you feel like God's asking you to pray. Just whatever comes to your mind yeah. when mm. you're going down that street, what past those houses. Um, yeah, I, I can only say that it's built me up. Good. It's really built me so up spiritually. Just remember, this is an area that the trust has been working in a lot. So what we're doing, you're sowing into that area yeah. through prayer. And we need yeah. more people. We need lots more people. So the harvest is out there. We just need more workers. Yes. So if yeah. anyone wants to join the prayer walking team, contact yep. you or Wendy Pele. That's right. Good. Yeah. Hey, thanks for that. That's, That's really right. neat. That's special. Thank hey, you, Alex. On it. Good on you. Okay, isn't that exciting? And I'll get Ruth to come up now, please. Um, I want to share with you this morning, following on from that, about the work of God. Oh, sorry, I'll just flick, flick through the next... Um, I forget, there's another one I wanted to show you. So there's some of the planned activities. Just keep going, we'll touch on them later. Next one. And there's a follow-up. And the last one, coming your way this week, we're going to send out a survey monkey and find out how many people want to be involved and what you want to do. So we can get some kind of feedback so we can start doing some more planning. But a couple of things have happened. I've approached the Tabernacle Trust in Auckland for some funding. So just pray that they smile our way. And secondly, um, I've approached a YWAM team that are based at Oxford. <coughs> and they've said yes tentatively. They've still got to confirm it because they've got a new team coming in next year. But they're, they're quite excited about it. So we'll have them here for about a week. Um, so there's just a couple of things that are happening. So stuff is happening, and we'd really appreciate your prayers for it. So what I want to do this morning is talk about the work of God. 
and, uh, and ask a few questions as we go along. And, and um, <clears throat> this is my, one of my favourite poems. I want to kind of start with this. And I think it's quite amazing. It says, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. It's a very, very, very profound poem. Basically what it means is you can look at something and you can, you can see God in it and other people just see something completely different. They don't see that. Yeah. And so what I wanted to do is to help you this morning learn to see and to train you in a sense as we look forward to the Love St. Albans weekend so you can start working on some things now that will train you up to be more effective as a disciple. It's really interesting, um, if you ever look in John's Gospel, you'll see there's a story of where he um, fed the 5,000, and then as a result of that, people loved what he did, well, wouldn't you if you had a free feed? And they followed him, the crowds followed him, and they asked him, what, what must we do to do the works that God requires? In other words, what must we do to do the same works that you're doing? And Jesus gave a very strange reply. And he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And I've been pondering that, and I thought, that's, that's a bit weird. And so I thought, well, the best way of finding out about the work of God is to actually look at what Jesus did and how he did it. So if you flick the next one on, the work of God is to see what Jesus would see if he were looking through my eyes and respond as he would respond. That's fair enough. So that's what we're going to be looking at now. So what we're going to be doing now is um, Ruth's going to read a story to us about Jesus healing someone. And what I want you to do is to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that you were there. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, who would I identify with? And why would I identify with that person or people? You happy to do that? So if you want to close your eyes, Ruth will read it, and you try and put yourself in the story and ask who would you identify with? And what questions do you have? Thanks, Ruth. I do get comfortable because I'm going to get comfortable too. And do you realise those little black handles on those chairs, actually between them, they lift up? So if you want to make it comfy, get comfy. Right, John 9. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? causing him to be born blind. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the work day is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this, and then he spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, Why? Isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, It's him all right. But others objected, Nah, 
It's not the man at all. It just looks like him. He said, it's me, the very one. They said, how did your eyes get opened? Oh, a man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. And when I washed, I saw. So where is he? I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. He said, he put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others countered, how can a bad man do miraculous, God-revealing things like this? There was a split in their ranks. They came back to the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it. Didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. So they called the parents of the man now bright-eyed with sight. They asked him, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? His parents said, We know our son, and we know he was born blind. But we don't know how he came to see. Haven't a clue who opened his eyes. I mean, why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why his parents said, ask him, he's a grown man. They called the man back a second time, the man who had been blind, and told him, give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. He replied, I don't know anything that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind. I now see. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over again, and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replied, Oh, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is, he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. 
how dare you take that tome of us? Then they threw him out in the street. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said and worshipped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, Does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, If you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. Amen. It's an amazing story, isn't it? So the question is, who did you identify with? Um, disciples? Your parents? Pharisees? The crowd? Or the blind man? Who do you identify with? It's an amazing story. As, as I was reflecting on the story, um, I, you know, I'd wake at night or wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be thinking of the different layers in it and it's got some amazing interaction which I want to go, go into. So we're talking about the work of God, and the first thing we want to notice is, ask the question is, where does it happen? Where does it take place? Well, the first line tells us, as Jesus went along. That's where the work of God takes place. We often think the work of God takes place in church here, and some of it does, let's be fair. But the majority of the work of God takes place as we go along, in our daily lives. That, that's our mission field. That's where God is wanting us to work, not here, but as we go along. And it's not in the big things of life, it's often in the little things of life. You see, lots of Christians, I believe, are looking for the big ministry. They want to do the big thing. And, and that's a noble sort of thing to feel. I want to do something great for God. So if you want to do something great for God, where does it start? It starts as you go along with the people that you're interacting with. It's not over there or out there or wherever. It's with the people that you are interacting with. But the question is this, are you open? Are you open to see with the eyes of Jesus and do the work of God? So what did Jesus see? Well, he saw a man that was blind from birth. And... Um, but what do the others see? I want to go through this because it's really interesting. The others saw something quite different. The disciples, through their spectacles, saw a man who was a religious problem. This guy was blind from birth. And so in those days, people believed that if the parents sinned, then the children could be cursed for something like blindness. But they also believed that a child could make a sinful decision while he was in the womb of the mother, and the consequences of that would be with them for the rest of their life. So this, this kid 
This man who was born blind, from the moment he was born, born had this, these labels on him of being a sinner. So the disciples saw him as a problem. They didn't see him as a, as a human being. They saw him as a religious problem. I was hoping Tracy would be here this morning, and I was going to ask the question. Tracy, you're in a wheelchair. How would you like it if I said you're a religious problem? <laughs> she wouldn't like it, would she? Because that's what the, the disciples and other people were doing with this guy. He was a religious problem. And that removes him from the realm of being a person. So when you treat somebody as a religious problem, you're not really treating them as a human being. You're a religious problem. So what about the neighbours? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> interesting, after he was um, healed, the neighbours didn't even recognise him, some of them. Some of them said, well, he's the man. And others said, well, no, he's not. Now, you just imagine you're living in the small community where you, the people that you grew up with, you, you'd live with them virtually all your life. And they're saying they didn't even know this guy. And the only thing that had changed about him was he could now could see. So what does that tell you about the interaction of the neighbours and the people around with this guy that was blind? He was ignored. They didn't know him. They didn't want to know him. For a start, he was sinful. And so they wanted to be righteous. And so they just ignored him. And it was, they were blown out of their minds. And some of them didn't even know who he was, even after he'd been healed. So, and some of them talking to the Pharisees. Well, it's interesting here. This, um, this guy was a nobody. He was not any religious problem. But he became a religious observance problem. Because he didn't quite fit into their box. And, you know, this is what kind of happens when the rules of a church or a religious organization get in the way. They become more important than people. And that's all they could see. They could see only through their eyes of religious observance what was important. And this guy wasn't important. He didn't fit in because he didn't fit in with their religious observance. And they said to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. Again, he was labeled. So, again, what did you see in the story? What do you see when you interact with other people at your work, in church, in life? It's really important what we see. I, I remember um, I was running an organisation called the Friendship Centre of Wellington. It was a downtown drop-in centre at some stage um, after I left Bible college. And um, we used to have homosexuals, transsexuals, social dropouts, all the, the people that um, most, most of the time would never had anything to do with. And there were people in the church here, this was their main outreach, said to me, a number of them said to me, we can't talk to people like that. They said to me, we can't talk, because they saw them as something so different. That's tragic, absolutely tragic. So you think of the, again, going back to the poem, all these people, the disciples, the Pharisees, the neighbours, all saw this guy through a different perspective. They were the ones who were sitting around picking blackberries. And yet the very purposes of God were being unveiled in front of their eyes and they didn't see it. That's tragic. There's a, uh, can we have the next slide up please? There's different ways you can see things. Two men look out through the same bars. One sees mud and the other sees stars. Interesting. 
I remember when I, was, I pastored a church in Kaikoui in Northland, and uh, about a 50% Maori population. And not long after I'd been there, um, somebody said to me, they said, oh, you want to go and see there's a couple that are living out Horiki, it's sort of halfway between Rowani and Kaikoui, mainly Maori community, a couple of Maori folk out there, and uh, you want to go and see them. So I went out to see this couple, and uh, they had um, they were living together, and she had three children, three lovely girls, and they were living in a derelict house. There was no running water, and they had to go and get their water from um, out in a um, we water ran off the roof into an old bathtub and they had another old bathtub which they bathed in but they had to heat the water and put it into the bath before they bathed so they're living in this derelict house the guy had been involved in the Mr. Asia gang now some of you won't know what I'm talking about but in the 80s it was high profile news because people in the Mr. Asia gang were involved in bringing drugs into New Zealand and it was kind of worldwide there were Lots of people were murdered as a result of it, and in Britain and Australia and in New Zealand. And this guy had been involved in the Mr. Asia gang, and he's lucky to be alive. The lady he was living with was actually a, a government health worker, and yet they're living in this house. And um, they were, the guy had, his father had been a pastor, he had backslidden, got into all this, and the girl had made some kind of Christian commitment somewhere along the way. And so... I started visiting them, befriending them, and they started coming to church. And I said to them, look, it's fantastic you're coming to church, but one of the things that we talked about is communion. I said, look, it's not appropriate to take communion. You're living together. And they agreed there was no issue there. So they sat up the back of the church. And this all went okay for two or three weeks until another older Maori guy in the church came to me one day, and he said, um, those people that are coming to church, he said, they shouldn't be here. He said, um, you've got to tell them to leave. And he said, either they go or I go. It's fair go. And I said, well, feel free. <laughs> feel free. Now, and you see, different perspectives. He saw them as a threat. And by the grace of God, I was able to see them. They were people on a journey. They were on a journey back to the grace of God. You know, the wonderful thing was, I ended up marrying them. They ended up serving the Lord full time in Australia for the Salvation Army. Incredible, hey? Now, I've lost contact with them, but they were a lovely couple. They had three beautiful girls. And, you know, that, that was... Um, so we, we need to be careful about what we see and how we respond. So Jesus saw a man who was born blind, but he saw more than that. He saw a guy whose whole life had been wrecked by what had happened. It wasn't just his blindness, but it was the way he'd been treated. And so he saw an opportunity to do the work of the Father. Now, the fact that he picked up on this is, is really significant. He, I mean, you imagine Jesus walking through these villages. There's people everywhere, and people clamoring and probably asking him questions and, and wanting to see the next miracle, and could he do this and could he do that? And he picks out this guy. Now, here's a guy who's not noticed by the people in his community. They don't even know him, some of them. They don't want to know anything about him. And he actually notices this guy. And you can imagine if, if you're the man, blind people have incredible perception. You can imagine how he would have felt if he had heard the, the crowd turn and start to move towards him. Now you put yourself in this guy's shoes for a minute. He was cursed with a sin label. 
scarred from the day he was born by different people's perceptions. And as for some of them, he would have been disgusting. We see that later. The Pharisees were disgusted by him. He was a drain on his parents. Imagine his parents having to live with accusations of sin and in a small community and labelled as, as, you know, producing a son like that. He would have had few friends growing up. I mean, they didn't care for blind people in those days like we do today. There's no braille. Kids are merciless. You imagine the hell he got when he was a kid. Imagine how many kids would want to befriend him. They didn't want to get offside with everyone else. He would have had no bar mitzvah, which is what happens when Jewish boys become 13 and initiated into manhood. I guarantee he would never have had that. He couldn't learn his father's trade because he was blind. Immediately at a disadvantage. He deemed useless. He contributed nothing to society. He was begging. He had nothing. Contributed nothing. Pitied by some. Cursed by others. Ignored by most. No hope of ever being married. You think about it. What a life. Reduced to being a beggar. No hope for the future, and he probably stank as well. And then Jesus came. And what we see here is the interaction between the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus and this man and all the other people around. And it's a fascinating dynamic, and I don't have time to go into it all. But all I want to say is this, if a tree is known by its fruit, there's some interesting trees in this story. <laughs> Very interesting trees. You know, the first miracle, in a sense, was the fact that Jesus noticed him. I mean, he'd been ignored as an embarrassment all his life, and then something changed. He touched the guy, went up to him, he put mud on his eyes. What does it mean to be noticed? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a church, a new church? You go into the church, you sit down, and up the front they talk about the wonderful fellowship that they've got, and have a greeting time, and no one talks to you. At the end of the service they say, oh look, let's go and have a cup of coffee, and we have this wonderful time of fellowship. So you go out there and you get a cup of coffee, you stand there with your cup of coffee and try and look intelligent, and, uh, and, and spiritual at the same time. And yet after five or ten minutes, nobody, everyone's talking to everyone else, but nobody seems to notice that you're there. Have you ever had that experience? Oh, I have. I've had quite a few times. I went to a big church in Wellington and, with my wife. And uh, I remember walking into the foyer. This guy was standing at the door, obviously, to greet him. My wife went off, as ladies do, to the ladies. He just stood there and ignored me. They had a greeting time. Both of us stood up trying to look around. And we were just totally ignored. Doesn't make you feel very good. Ever been to a party? And maybe it's a party where you don't really know the people and you get there maybe a bit late and uh, you get a drink because it's something to do and you're standing there with a drink in your hand trying to look intelligent, sipping away at the drink and, and trying to make it stretch out a bit and sort of vaguely looking around for somebody who might be in your similar situation and you're feeling a bit of an idiot because no one's talking to you and everyone else seems to be talking to everyone else. Do you have the experience? I do. And... Um, I have, and most people do have it. And then, after a while, somebody actually comes up and talks to you. How do you feel after that? Makes all the difference. Why? Why? Because it's an act of love. And the first gift that Jesus gave this guy was to be noticed as an act of love. He put his hands on him, and that act of 
even putting his hands on him would have been something that the guy would not have experienced probably for a long, long time. So the first gift that Jesus gave was to treat him as a valuable human being. He didn't look through eyes or glasses at this guy, didn't have labels on him. He saw him as a valuable human being made in the image of God. And my question is, is that how we see people? So often we see people with labels. We presuppose, and I've done this so many times, you presuppose what somebody is like. And when you get to know them, you find they're a lot different. So we need to take our spectacles off. If we want to do the work of God, we need to learn to look with the eyes of Jesus and to do the work that Jesus has for us. So Christianity is unique because it tells us that every human being is unique and valued in the eyes of God. And if you're not, if sitting in church this morning, you don't feel that, I want to tell you that's the truth. You are incredibly loved and valued by God. Christianity, the Judo-Christian religious system, is the only system in the world that actually teaches that. No other religious system does or religious teaching does. You know, the Old Testament blessing tells us that God pays attention to us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. If somebody makes their face shine towards you, you've just watched a mother looking at a baby and the shine on that mother's face, that's what it means. It's a face of love, of attention, of, of compassion and of caring. And that's what God does to us. And guess what? He's inviting us to be like Jesus and do the same to other people. And for all of us, that is quite a challenge. Do you ever, ever thought about how important love is to be noticed, to be loved? I want to read you out something. This really blew me away. This is a guy who, um, he said he's been involved with orphanages for about 12 years because he had a daughter, he's a human biologist, a very, very capable guy, um, born in 2004, and the first 14 months of her life was spent in an orphanage in China. So he did a lot of research um, on orphanages, and he said it shows that the, there can be physical and psychological harms of deprived environments. Orphanages can arguably be placed in this category, along as refugee camps, etc., etc. Deprivation comes in many shapes and forms, lack of food, diseases, maltreatment, child abuse, etc., etc., but he, he um, they looked at um, some research done in, in the United States and, and um, in the United Kingdom. At the beginning of the 20th century, in the United States and the United Kingdom, death rates among infants placed in orphanages, nurseries, and founding hospitals were in some cases close to 100%. Now, I want to repeat that again. That's at the beginning of the 20th century. Death rates among infants placed in orphanages, nurseries, and founding hospitals were in some cases close to 100%. And among the babies that didn't die, there were a high percentage of cognitive, behavioural, and psychological dysfunction. Most of these deaths were not due to starvation or disease. In other words, they had plenty of food. They weren't sick. But to severe emotional and sensorial deprivation, in other words, a lack of love. These babies were fed and medically treated, but they're absolutely deprived of the important stimulation, especially touch and affection. So you can imagine how this guy felt. But if that's true of babies, 
desperately needing love. Isn't it also true of you and me? Don't we need that love as well? I can look back on my past and I can see areas of love deprivation I suffered from my parents because they were human and sinful. And I've looked at my own kids and I've thought, I failed you there. Now you know why Jesus said, the world will know you my disciples by your love for one another. Because that's the thing that we need most. That's what makes us human more than anything. It's not the things that we do. It's who we are and the love that we receive and give. And the first act of love, if you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, the first act of love is to notice people who you can love. Isn't that amazing? See, Christian ministry isn't all these big, the big stuff. Christian ministry is you and me loving people in the name of Jesus where we go. So... The work of God is seeing what Jesus would do if he were looking through our eyes and do what he would do. Actions of love. So let's have a look at a few areas. How are we up for time? I don't have Robert here this morning looking over my back and taking time off so I can be a little bit more relaxed. Um, if we want to be ambassador of Jesus, the first thing we've got to learn to do is to see. We'll learn to listen first, which we'll cover later, but to see. What about our kids? If you're a parent, your mission field is your kids. First mission field. That's your first mission field. And I like to stand up here in shame and say that um, at times that I didn't really see my kids. Um, I was too busy in church ministry. And my kids used to say, Dad, you're never home. That's true. And... Um, I remember my daughter, we shifted down from Kaikoui to Taupo and, and she was pretty unhappy for a while coming to a new school and, you know, kids can be really catty at that age and, you know, all this. And, and I really didn't have any time for that. I was too busy doing the Lord's work. And my mission field was at home. I should have listened. I should have noticed, seen that what my daughter has gone through and sat down and talked to her and listened to her, but I didn't. So your first mission field, parents, is in your family. Learn, ask God to give you a vision to see earth crammed with God's fire, as it were. Don't just sit around and pick, back, pick blackberries at home. Learn to see through the eyes of God. What about school? All of you lovely teenagers go to school. How many kids at school you notice that are a little bit different, don't fit in, struggle with life, have issues? Do you ever notice that or do you just put a label on them and avoid them? Because that's what most people do. But as Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to be agents of love and of change. So I want to challenge you. Ask God to help you to see through Jesus' eyes and ask what, how you can respond to those people and show them what God's love is all about. It's a challenge, isn't it? What about in their work situations? Same thing applies. What about their neighbours? What about in church? We walk into church and we see the same old faces. But maybe we need to see beyond that. What about we see people sitting by themselves? Or somebody who's new? What do you do? I'm in the church because Mike took the time to speak to myself and my wife. Really appreciated that. And I've said that before. That's an act of love. And noticing people and taking a step and talking to them 
is an act of love. And that can be the first step on a miraculous journey. You know, you want to climb Mount Everest? You start with the first step. Now, see, Tung said the longest journey starts with the first step. And that can be the first step. So, love notices, love listens, love remembers, and love acts. And when we think of the world around us, look, we live in a world of incredible loneliness, heartache, and pain. I don't think I've ever seen so much in my life as I'm seeing at present, and of uncertainty. We are going to be looking at doing something in St Albans. Out there, there are lots of people whose lives are fractured, broken, hurting, and we've got the answer in Jesus. But what about all the people in church that are lonely? If I ask people to say this morning, how many people of you are lonely? I'm not going to ask. But I'll guarantee there's a significant number of people in church here this morning who are very lonely at times. And so we've got to look beyond what we're doing and say, God, we're actually part of the answer. Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush aflame with, with God. But only those who notice take off their shoes. <laughs> the rest sit around them like blackberries. Do you want to take off your shoes? What would it mean for you? You know, this is countercultural stuff. This is being different from what the world does, and most churches do, I might add. Helen Keller was asked, What's worse than, is there anything worse than being blind? Now, Helen Keller was a famous woman. If you want to look up her story, it's an incredible lady. She was born blind, deaf, and dumb. And she ended up getting degrees and all that kind of stuff. And she's asked, What's worse than being blind? She said, Having sight without vision. Having sight without vision. And I think sometimes we're guilty of that, having sight without vision. So, interesting how Jesus responded to this person in love. Simply reached out to him, touched him, changed his life. And that's how the kingdom of God grows, one person at a time. We notice one person. That's how churches grow, one person at a time. So our ministry is to see with the eyes of Jesus and to do what he wants us to do. And the key to it is in the relationship with Jesus. How do we do it? And if I go right back to the, the very start, I've got my note here. Um, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And he said, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. And the word believe is, is basically, has, it means resting upon, trusting in. So our first work is to trust Jesus. That's the first work. That's what we've got to do. But first of all, we've got to listen to him. So he was able to respond to his blind man because he was in a relationship with his father. And you can get that the Holy Spirit gave him a nudge as he walked into that village and he saw this guy and something like lit up like a beacon. His disciples saw a problem. Jesus saw it's, it's an opportunity. He said, you got it all wrong. This is an opportunity for me to do God's work. So We need to learn to listen to God. And I want to ask you some questions here, or one particular question. How did Jesus learn to listen to the Father? Was it in the noise of the crowd that he was with, clamoring for more miracles? Or was it somewhere else? 
Why did he go up to the mountains to pray in a quiet place? Because that's where he could listen to God. Elijah, you know the story of Elijah, and there was the powerful wind and earthquake, and then after the fire, fire, and then came the fire came a gentle whisper. And that's where Elijah heard the voice of God in the gentle whisper. And I want to ask this question. How important is silence in your life? What part of silence is a part of your worship? We'll put it like that. Um, and I want to ask the musicians the same question. What part of worship does silence have? Sometimes I think that, get the feeling, and I'm not saying you guys are guilty of this, but I'm just talking generally. I think we feel that the more noise we create, the closer we are to God, the more enthusiasm we can generate, and the better it is. But I question that. It was in the, in, in the book of Revelation, it says there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Now, if heaven has silence for half an hour, how important it is, is it, to build silence into what we do? So I ask that question. What part does silence play in your theology of worship, our theology of worship? Because that's where we can often listen to God. So what happened? Okay, so Jesus went and laid hands on this guy, put mud in and told the guy, go and wash. Notice Jesus told the guy to do something. He didn't all lay it on. And the guy got healed. And if I can put it like this, all hell broke loose. I mean, it literally did. He created a real storm. And I just want to tell you something, that when the kingdom of God intercepts a person's life or changes a person's life, there's going to be some big changes and there'll be a ripple effect right through. I remember when I first became a Christian, my parents thought I'd gone mad. They did. They thought I was going, oh, you'll get over it. You'll get over it. You'll grow up. That's what they told me. And uh, I had to laugh last, but anyway. So huge changes. And that man changed. He was irrevocably changed. You read the story and he's a guy who's sitting there begging and all of a sudden, he's this confident person. He's challenging the Pharisees and saying, well, you said that. That's just a lot of nonsense. You know, surely you must be wanting to be a disciple of his. Is that why you're asking so many questions? I mean, that's, that's the, the, the mindset of a person who's now empowered. So Jesus set him free to be a normal person. He'll go on and, and have some normal work to do, probably get married, etc., etc. So the miracle just wasn't in the being healed from blindness. It was a miracle that changed the guy's life, and that's what the kingdom of God can do. He, the guy could now become a contributor to society. And we look at all the situations in New Zealand, we look at all the poverty and stuff like that in New Zealand, I guarantee you 30% of those people that are involved in that became Christians, their life dynamics were changed. Instead of taking, they'd start giving. So, and there were reactions too. There was anger, there was confusion, rebellion, there was abuse, and there was violence. They threw him out of the synagogue. I think that's great, actually. I think that was one of the best gifts he had. Why would you want to be around people like that? I wouldn't want to be around people like that. You're better off without them. At least he knew where he stood. See what I mean? There is a dividing line. Jesus said, I come to bring a sword. This is a classic example of where he came to bring a sword. They threw him out. Who got the best deal? <laughs> okay. I want to ask you some questions. Do you want to be a change agent and make waves? 
Well, I want to invite you, as we move ahead from now, go out and have coffee or whatever, today, tomorrow. Do you want to stand around and pick blackberries? Or do you want you to take your shoes off and see the power and the presence of God? Are you prepared to do the work of God, to see, to pay attention? Not only when you come to church, but your own family, the people you work with. Ask God to give you eyes. Are you prepared to be quiet and listen to God? Take some space out. Look, I'm an activist. I find it incredibly hard to sit down. I did a, uh, a retreat years ago. It was a seven-day retreat. and five of those days, we couldn't say anything. Seriously. We have lunch with other people, and we couldn't talk. So you imagine asking somebody to pass the, the butter or the jam without talking. I know the ladies would probably find that incredibly difficult. I found it hard enough as it was. <laughs> so, but <laughs> learn to be quiet. Because one of the things I found was that when you're quiet, you start seeing things that you didn't see before. You think, this is amazing. Well, I shouldn't do this more often, but I'm an activist. So. And another question I want to ask, are you prepared to step out of your comfort zone? Because if God brings your, somebody to your attention, you have to do something about it. That means for many of us, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. And that may mean getting involved in somebody else's life. And that can be challenging and that can be scary. But how else are you going to grow? How else are you going to do the work of God unless you are involved in somebody else's life? See? One person at a time. So it's exciting, isn't it? And the last thing, are you prepared to pay the price? There is a price to pay. And, uh, yeah. So, so you can begin to practice this right from now. So do you want to do the work of God? It's exciting, isn't it? Do you want to learn to see with the eyes that Jesus sees? And I know many of you do this already. But let's ask God to help us to do it in a far deeper and a far greater way. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. And then um, what I'd like to do is just after that, is you want musicians come up? Yeah, be good. Cool. Is, um, I'd like to ask one or two of you in the congregation uh, to, um, we can do that now if we just pray, is to pray that God will help us to see with the eyes of Jesus. But also would you like to pray for the love from St. Albans time that's coming up in the preparation so let's just have a short time of prayer and if three or four people can pray that'll be fantastic so and then i'll close so let's pray